You know, I would, you know what I'd love? I would love to see our Wednesday night service take on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night environment. Um, and I'm not bragging. I, I'm just telling you like it is. I don't study any less for a Wednesday night sermon than I do for a Sunday morning sermon or a Sunday night sermon. I put as much effort into, uh, into this sermon that I will put into Sunday morning sermon or Sunday night sermon. And um, I, think that, I think you ought to purpose in your heart that you're going to come to church on Wednesday night like you come to church on Sunday morning and like you come to church on, on Sunday night. Let's not treat sun, a Wednesday night as a, just kind of, yeah, okay, do whatever. God can show up on Wednesday night just as easy as he can show up on Sunday night or Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, Vivi got saved on a Wednesday night. I remember I was preaching a series on the joy of salvation, and we were, it was a doctrinal series on the doctrine of salvation. We talked about justification, we talked about sanctification, we talked about glorification. I mean, we just went right on down the line, and I remember the night Vivi stepped out and got saved on Wednesday night. Listen, I think if you'll come with that kind of attitude and that kind of spirit, Brother Mike worked hard tonight to try to get you here. And that's, that's not easy. Uh, Brother Tyler worked hard Sunday morning, almost ready to puke at any moment. He worked hard Sunday morning, and, and he worked hard on Sunday night, and Brother Mike works hard on Wednesday night. And I try to work hard to get a message ready. So I hope that you'll come on Wednesday nights with an attitude of let's have church let's not just take up time and occupy space on wednesday night let's have church on wednesday night all in favor say amen, amen. all right passes all uh, any opposed none so it's unanimous i love it philippians chapter four tonight Philippians chapter four pray for my wife speaking of throwing up um she's on the verge and i hope that's all done and all finished by the time i get home uh, if not, I'll sleep somewhere else. I, 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 don't need, I don't need that. But pray for her, would you? She's not feeling well tonight. And then pray for Brother John and Beverly Malin, their uh, daughter-in-law. Uh, Jan Malin passed away about 1 o'clock this morning. And funeral services will be at Lone Star uh, Friends Church on Saturday. Uh, so pray for, uh, for Randy and, and uh, their kids and, of course, Brother John and Beverly you told Brother Bill today, he said, I'm jealous. And I uh, said, my daughter-in-law's in heaven, and here I am still in a stupid nursing home, and I'm just ready to go. And uh, so that's a good attitude. It's a good spirit. And you can have that attitude when you know that you know, that you know you're saved. Amen? Philippians chapter 4. Um, look at verse 4 again. I better get there myself. Philippians chapter 4. And if you want to, if you want to go ahead and find your uh, way to Genesis chapter three, uh, we'll we'll get there as well, Philippians chapter four, and then I'll give you a, a head start for Genesis chapter three. But in, in in Philippians chapter four and verse four, Paul wrote this: Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Lord's help, we're going to continue learning how to put our anxiety to rest. Last week we, 
we preached on, on the same verse, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and um, this message will be much shorter than the message last week, because I, there was no way I could put this in the message that I preached last week, and preach everything I preached last week. Uh, this really should have been one message, but it would have been too long, so um, just stay with me tonight, and we'll get, we'll get done when we get done, and probably have a little extra time, uh, maybe even spend some time in prayer tonight. Last week we talked about rejoicing in the Lord's sovereignty, and when we speak of the Lord's sovereignty, that's a, that's a big word, uh, but God is sovereign, and we shouldn't shy away from Bible words and, and, and biblical terminology. God is sovereign, and when we use the word sovereign and we speak of God's sovereignty, we're speaking of His perfect control and management of the universe, okay? His perfect control and his management of the universe. Anxiety tends to rise up in us when our perceived control begins to diminish. The operative phrase there being perceived control. Because we're really never in control. We cannot take control because control is not ours to take. But yet there are many times when we think we're in control. And when we think we're in control and things start getting out of control in our life, that's when anxiety rises because we're convinced that we're losing control. We're like the fighter pilots that we talked about last week. They had a perceived sense of control when it came to their fate because they were the ones who were sitting in the cockpit. But the reality of it all is this. Even with their hand on the controls, their fate was still ultimately up to God. Does that make sense? There are times in our lives when we, when we perceive and we have this perception of control and, and we, we're controlling our plans and we're controlling our path and we're controlling our finances and we're controlling our health and we're controlling this and we're controlling that. But the truth of the matter is, church, we are not controlling anything. And if you and I could come to grips with that reality that God is controlling everything, then we don't have to worry when things happen in our life. Because God's in control. God is the one that is orchestrating the events of life. Remember what we said last week about belief and behavior. Belief always precedes behavior. So if you want to change the way you behave, then you have to change the way you believe. And so when it 
seems as though your life is spinning out of control and your anxiety level is rising, if you want to change the way you believe in those circumstances and you want to put your anxiety to rest, or excuse me, if you want to change the way you behave in those environments and those circumstances, when you feel your anxiety rising up, then you have to change what you believe. And that was the whole focus of last week. Learn to rejoice in God's sovereignty. And here's what you have to change. Here's the thinking you have to change. I'm not in control. God is in control. I'm not responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible for obeying the Lord. And so again, belief always precedes behavior. God preserves and governs every element of the universe. He is continually involved with all created things, including us, directing them to act in a way that fulfills his divine purpose. That's why Paul didn't just say rejoice, and again I say rejoice. That's why he said rejoice in the Lord. Listen. And, and I'll remind you of what we talked about last week again with, with respect to the Apostle Paul. If anybody had a reason to be anxious, it was Paul. He wrote the book of Philippians from a jail cell. He didn't know what his fate was going to be. There were men out there that, that had infiltrated some churches that he had planted and they were causing an uproar and trying to cause division and trying to lead people away. And so Paul not only had to deal with his own physical pain and, 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 and not knowing what his fate was, he also had to deal with, with the churches and, and whether they were going to be okay and, and the things that were going on there. And, and things were just piling on Paul left and right. But yet Paul could take his quill and he could re write, Rejoice! In the Lord, always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in His sovereignty. Rejoice in the fact that God is in control. Rejoice in His wisdom. Rejoice in His ability. Rejoice in His plan for our lives. And remember that God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. God never takes a break. God never takes a nap. The Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is never not paying attention. God is never unaware. God is never uh, uh, lacking in ability to control. Heaven's, God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. We talked about Isaiah when King Uzziah died. What are we going to do now? I mean, he's the one that's kept everybody at bay. He's the one that's kept us safe now that he's gone. And what was God's answer? A vision that showed him sitting on a throne. Uzziah's throne was vacated, but God's throne wasn't. Uzziah's voice was silenced, but God's voice wasn't. If you want to deal with anxiety, rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. 
And then there's something else that I believe we, we need to rejoice in. And again, I was going to try to tack this on the end last week, but there was just no way that we could do it. But there's one other thing that we need to rejoice in, and that is the Lord's mercy. Rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Rejoice in the Lord's mercy. And here's why, church, because one of the greatest causes of anxiety is guilt or unresolved regret. Who among us has not dealt with guilt? I went online today and and did a little uh, searching for anxiety triggers and, and went to a number of of websites and and uh, they listed a, a variety of of things that they call triggers things that 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 bring on anxiety and they they listed things like busy schedules and unrealistic demands and pregnancy and family slash relational problems they mentioned trauma they mentioned loss and a, a number of other things but i never did find a listing for guilt or unresolved regret if you're in genesis chapter 3 the first case of anxiety ever experienced was as a result of guilt look at it in chapter you know chapter 3 the serpent comes and and uh, he tempts Adam and Eve and says, hey, listen, the reason that God doesn't want you to partake of that tree is because he knows when you, when you partake of that tree, your eyes are going to be opened and you are going to be like gods yourselves. He doesn't want any rivals. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't want anyone to be like him. And so he convinces them of that and they partake of the forbidden fruit. And then look what it says in verse 7. Are you with me? And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Why? Because they saw they were naked and they were ashamed. They were guilty. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves why guilt they hid themselves from the presence of the lord uh, god amongst the trees of the garden and the lord god called unto adam and said unto him where art thou verse 10 and he said that is adam said i heard thy voice in the garden and i was what afraid why because i was naked i was guilty I was ashamed, and I hid myself. Note the sequence here. Guilt came first, then anxiety. Guilt, and then he said, I'm afraid. Fear, shame, anxiety. Why? Because of guilt, because of regret. Adam and Eve didn't know how to process their failure. And neither do we most of the time. 
And that's why sometimes we get so anxious. But even though we really don't know how to process it effectively, a lot of times we still try. Now, we don't duck in bushes because we have more sophisticated ways to deal with guilt. This is 2017. We don't hide behind trees and bushes anymore. For example, here's how some try to deal with their guilt. They try to numb it with things like alcohol or marijuana or prescription drugs. I mean, guilt always disappears during happy hour, right? Yeah, absolutely it does. Funny how it reappears, though. When all of that wears off, that anxiety comes right back. The guilt, the anxiety, the fear, the dread. If they don't numb it, they deny it. They just pretend they never stumbled. They just go on. Some may try and minimize it by saying they didn't sin. They, they just got caught up in the moment. Or they just lost their way, or they, they just took a wrong path, or they just had a, a lapse in judgment, but, but I didn't sin. Others try and suppress their guilt by burying it beneath a mound of, of work and a calendar full of appointments. And they're convinced that the busier they stay, then the less time they spend with the people that they've come to dislike the most themselves. Sadly, some deal with their guilt by punishing it. They cut themselves. They hurt themselves. They beat themselves up emotionally. You with me? We're talking about how people deal with guilt. Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together and hid behind a bunch of bushes. We're more sophisticated than that. We don't do that. We numb it. We deny it. We minimize it. We bury it. We punishment or punish it. By avoiding the, the mention of it, some people hope to avoid dealing with guilt. They just, they just don't bring it up. Just, just push it away, keep pushing it away, keep pushing it away. Others choose to redirect it as they lash out at their kids or their spouse or yell at their employees or cuss at the person in the car in the other lane. By determining to never make another mistake, or building the perfect family, or creating the perfect career, or scoring perfect grades, or being the perfect Christian. Some people are convinced that they can just offset their guilt, kind of like the tip the scales in their favor. Well, I, yeah, I know that I, I didn't do right, and I, I, I know that things should have been different, but I'm going to do better, and, and, and I'm going to be a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better child, I'm going to be a better worker, I'm going to make better grades, I'm going to be a better student. And, and so in their mind, they're trying to, to tip the scales and offset 
the bad with the good, and that's their way of dealing with guilt, but it doesn't do anything but create more anxiety. Unresolved guilt will turn you into a miserable, weary, angry, stressed out, fearful mess. I want you to look at what David wrote after his affair with Bathsheba. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Say, law. In other words, stop and think about that. David is, is telling us there, I think, how his anxiety level just rose. Listen, church, guilt sucks the life out of our souls. But grace restores it. Thank God for grace. The Apostle Paul clung to this grace. As much as he believed in God's sovereignty, he relied on God's mercy. Just think about it. No one had more reason to feel the burden of guilt than Paul did. Paul was the equivalent of a modern-day terrorist. The guy that, that rented the Home Depot pickup and rode down the bike lane and killed all those people in, in New York, what'd they call him? A terrorist. People that bombed the trade centers, what'd they call them? Terrorist, the, the, Boston, uh, the Boston Marathon, what do they call those guys? Terrorist. Paul, if he lived in 2017, would have been called a terrorist. That's the kind of guy he was. He hated Christians. He made havoc of the church, entering into to every house, and hailing, that word means dragging men and women, committed them to prison. Is what it says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. So Paul was a Christ hater. Paul was a Christian hater. He despised Christians. It was Paul who held the cloaks, the coats, of the men who stoned Stephen to death. Here, fellas, let me hold your coat. So he, he held their coats while these men picked up rocks and threw them at Stephen until he died. And Paul was glad about that. He rejoiced in that. That's the kind of man Paul was. And then, on top of that, he was a legalist to the core. Before he came to know Christ, Paul had spent a lifetime trying to save himself. And by the way, all those things I just told you Paul did, he did in the name of religion. Just like terrorists today. 
They, they do those things in New York and Boston. They do those things in the name of religion. Listen, Paul wasn't a heathen. He was a very religious man. And he spent his whole life trying to save himself. His salvation depended on his perfection. It depended on his performance. Go back to the book of Philippians with me real quick. Philippians chapter 3. Have you got a good picture of, of Paul? Let me ask that again. Do you have a good picture of Paul? All right. Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 4. We're talking about Paul. Prior to, to salvation, he was a, a terrorist. He was a, a shedder of blood. A hater of believers. And he did it all in the name of his religion. And, and in his religion, you had to do everything just right. You had to keep the law just right. And Paul worked very hard at, at, at trying to keep all of the law and, and crossing all of his religious I's and, uh, or, or T's and dotting all of his religious I's. And here's what he said in chapter 3 and verse 4. He said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, Paul said, I more. And then he, he tells us about himself. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So as we look at the life of Paul, he had blood on his hands and religious diplomas on the wall. But then came the Damascus Road moment. When Jesus appeared to him in a bright and shining light. And once he saw Jesus, he couldn't see anymore. He couldn't see the value in his resume anymore. He couldn't see the merit in his merits or worth in his good works anymore. He couldn't see reasons to boast about anything he had done anymore. He couldn't see any option except to spend the rest of his life talking less about himself and more about Jesus. Here's how he put it exactly in verse 7. But what things were gained to me? Paul said, all those things I just listed to you, being circumcised on the eighth day, uh, 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 being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and, 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 and is touching the law blameless. He said, all of that religious work that I did, look what he said in verse 7. He said, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, I look back at those things and they're worthless. They're useless. They're of no value to me yea doubtless and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith listen to me tonight look at me Paul gave his guilt to Jesus period end of story he couldn't numb it he couldn't hide it he couldn't deny it he couldn't offset it he couldn't punish it all he could do was surrender it and that's exactly what he did and as a result, he went on to write. Look at verses 13 and 14. He said, not as though I had already attained. In other words, he said, now listen to me. Understand this. I'm not, I'm not writing to you and saying these things like I've arrived and I'm perfect now and, and I'm all this in a bag of chips. He said, no, no, please understand me. That's not, that's not the, the, the perspective that I'm writing from. He said, I've not attained. Either we're, either we're already perfect. That I'm not writing you as somebody who's got it all together. He said, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Listen, Paul couldn't do anything about the families he destroyed. He couldn't do anything about the, the men who died and the women who died and the blood that was shed. Paul couldn't do anything about that. He said, but here's what I am doing. I'm forgetting all of that. And I'm looking at Christ who is now my life and I'm doing everything I can to become like Jesus Christ he gave all of his guilt he surrendered all of his guilt to Jesus listen to me tonight I don't know what what may be in your mind right now as you're thinking about guilt maybe as a a, 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 a parent or maybe as a spouse or maybe as a child or maybe as an employee or an employer or whatever I, I don't know what's in your mind but I know this, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't go back and undo anything. It's done. What's done is done. What you can do is you can surrender that to Jesus, just like Paul did. We're talking about putting your anxiety to rest. And one way you can do that is quit trying to deal with the past. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. What would Paul say to the guilt-laden among us tonight? 
Here's what I think he would say. Rejoice in the Lord's mercy. Trust in his ability to forgive. Abandon any attempt of self-salvation. No more hiding behind fig leaves. Cast yourself upon the grace of Christ and Christ alone. Have you done that? Have you cast yourself upon the grace of Christ and Christ alone? Here's what I'm asking you tonight. Have you ever been saved? Say, well, no, Pastor, I haven't. Then we may have put our finger on the majority of your anxiety. Listen, if you've not, if you've not come to a place in your life where you, in your mind, you've understood, I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself, and there's not a church that can save me, and there's not any religious act or any religious deed I can do that can save me. And if I don't get saved, I'm going to hell. But I understand that Jesus can save me, that Christ and Christ alone can save me. And this very moment, I'm turning from everything I've ever believed would get me to heaven, and I'm putting all of my faith in Jesus Christ. And in your own words, the best you knew how, you prayed and asked God to forgive you and asked Jesus to save you. Now listen to me tonight. If that's ever, if that's ever happened in your life, you're not going to have to hem-haw about it. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. No, you're going to know. You're going to know. As sure as you're sitting there tonight. You may not know the day. You may not know how many years ago it was. But you know you can go back to that moment in your mind. Whether it was in your home or at a church service or at a vacation Bible school or in your parents' bedroom or at the kitchen table or at a youth camp. But you can remember when somebody took the Bible. They didn't just fill out a card and, and send you back to your seat. They open the Bible, they talk to you about Jesus, and you call on the name of the Lord. Has that ever happened in your life? If not, then tonight you can be like Vivi Padilla. And you can get saved on a Wednesday night at Fellowship Baptist Church. And then real quick, let me, let me address those that are saved. You're still wrestling with the past. Listen, I'm not just going to sit up here and flippantly tell you, get over it. But I'm going to tell you, it's over. It's under the blood. It's been removed. God's, God's taken it away. And if you're still anxious about guilt and about these things rising up in you, listen to me tonight, that's the devil. What did we read last week? God hasn't given us a spirit, hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. If God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, who does? The devil. 
And the devil wants to keep you defeated. And he wants to keep you all balled up inside and all anxious and all... Listen, if you call on the name of the Lord, he said, you're saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, I, I don't know where you're at spiritually.